It is so good to see you this morning. We're thankful you've chosen to be with us. If you're a guest today, we want you to know that you're welcome. If you haven't already done so, if you will look in the front of the, uh, on the back of the pew in front of you, there's a green card, and you can fill that out, leave it at the end of the pew, uh, at the end of the service. We uh, do have a couple of announcements, a th- couple of things that we want to mention this morning before we get into the lesson to update those who are in our bulletin who are sick. Uh, Brother Gilbert Kimbrell had surgery on Friday, and he'll be out a couple of weeks, but please keep Gilbert and Susan in your, in your prayers. Also, we want to extend our sympathy to two families, Jerry Nichols in the loss of his brother James Nichols, who died Friday, and also to James Brown uh, in the uh, passing of his uncle Herman Brown. Uh, Herman's uh, funeral will be visitation on Tuesday night from 6 to 9 at Collins Burke, and the funeral will be Wednesday at 11 o'clock at the chapel of Collins Burke. Uh, also, one other thing that uh, I do want to mention, next Sunday morning following the morning service, uh, we need to have a teacher's meeting. That's uh, immediately after the morning service next week. And uh, all teachers, as well as anyone who would like to teach in the future, if you could be there, we would love to have you there for that particular meeting. Then one other thing that I do want to mention before we start, at the end of our lesson this morning, or the end of our service this morning, we will be having a special announcement, so uh, Connor will take care of that, but uh, uh, be expecting that. We'll, we'll have a seat after the last song, and then, uh, then we'll have that special announcement at that time. As we begin this morning, let me ask you a question. Where did you get your wisdom? You remember a king a long time ago who had a really good heart when he was a young king. The Bible speaks about this king and says regarding him in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3, that Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. He was a man who had a good heart. He loved the Lord. The Bible simply says here that, that he made offerings in the high places. And you know a lot of times when we think about that term high places, we think about what the children of Israel and others did a long time ago. They would go to the high places and they would, they would offer sacrifices to idols. But that's not what's being spoken about here. Uh, the Bible had talked about in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 12 verses 13 and 14 that that the children of Israel, they were not to worship just in any place that, that they chose, but they were to worship in the place that God himself chose. But at this time, the house of God had not been built. David had wanted to do that, and God had refused to allow him to build a temple in Jerusalem. He said, you're a man of blood, and God said, you can't do it, but your son Solomon would. And eventually Solomon, of course, would construct the temple and, and he would be worshiping along with other people in the place that God had intended for him to do. But they were worshiping on this occasion in, in a place that is identified in the book of Second Chronicles chapter 1 at verse number 3. The Bible identifies the place as Gibeon. Now all of the assembly were there because it was there that the tent, the tabernacle that had been constructed and carried with them from place to place as they were wandering in the wilderness, it was there that it had been set up. And it was there on that occasion that the Bible speaks about in First Chronicles how that Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings to God 
on that one occasion. A thousand burnt offerings, a thousand animal sacrifices. Can you imagine all of the sacrificing that was done on that day just by Solomon, not that he was doing it with his own hands, but he had delivered it to the, to the priest as it should have been done. And it was because of this that God was pleased with him. He had, had that good heart. He was there. He was worshiping in the high place. He was going to take care of that later because God was going to allow him to build the temple in Jerusalem. But, but now God is pleased with him. And it's on that very night, according to the book of 1 Kings and according to the book of 1 Chronicles, that God says to Solomon, Ask what you will. Uh, God, just, God said, Just let me know what you want me to do for you. And you remember exactly what... Solomon said, don't you? You remember that Solomon chose to ask for wisdom. Now, a lot of times we get caught up and we say, you know, Solomon was a good guy and he asked for wisdom and, and because he didn't ask for riches, and the Bible does talk about this, because he didn't ask for riches, God gave him riches as well. But the point is, he asked for wisdom. But I want you to understand something this morning. Solomon did not just ask for wisdom in general. Sometimes we may get caught up in that. Solomon didn't just ask God, say, just give me a handful of wisdom and let me have it. Solomon was very specific in the wisdom that he asked for. In 1 Kings chapter 3, at verse number 9, here's what the Bible says. It says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this great, your great people? You see, Solomon asked for the wisdom to discern, not just any kind of wisdom, but the wisdom to discern between good and evil. I want you to understand that Solomon did not always use his wisdom. Uh, throughout his, uh, uh, his rule, he, he would become distracted by women, and he would marry and, and have all these wives who would take his attention away from God. And though God had given him the wisdom to know between the difference between good and evil, to discern between good and evil, Solomon didn't always exercise that wisdom. Now, he exercised it in a lot of ways. In the same passage that we've been quoting from this morning, there was the story of how these two women had children, had babies. One died, the other didn't. There was a dispute between them. And, and Solomon said, you know, on that occasion, we'll bring me the, the living baby and we'll just chop it in half and give one, to the, uh, one half to one mother and one half to the other mother. Well, you understand how he, how he solved that problem. The mother... Uh, of the child said, no, just give it to her. Just let the child live. And the other one said, oh, well, that's fine. Just chop it in half. And Solomon said, the one who said, you know, let the baby live, that's the child's mother. He had all of that wisdom. People would come from all over. Solomon didn't always exercise the wisdom that God gave him. But he asked for the wisdom to discern between good and evil, between right and wrong. In the book of James, chapter 1, God makes it clear that we're going to have some rough spots in our life. We're going to have some problems in our life. Matter of fact, he speaks about in verses 2 through 4, as well as in verse number 12, he speaks about the fact that we will have trials in our life. But even more than that, he speaks about in verses 13 through 15 how that we will have temptations 
in our life. There's a difference between the trials and the temptations that are mentioned here in the book of James chapter 1. The trials or the, the difficulties that we face and the temptations are the things that would cause us to sin. But the question is this morning, how are we going to get through those rough spots? When we have the trials of life, when, when problems, they, they seem to, to come in upon our life and, and, and we're tempted or you know, we're, we're almost uh, ready to give up because of the trials, how do we get through those rough spots? When, we, when we're faced with temptations that would cause us to sin and do those things that are wrong, how do we get through that? A couple of weeks ago we talked about temptations and how... God would help us to, uh, to, to overcome those kinds of things. But, but how do we get through the rough spots of life? Let me suggest to you, we need some wisdom. We need some wisdom in order to do that. And so, in the book of James, chapter 1 at verse 5, the Bible, in the midst of this discussion on the trials and the temptations, says this, If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. God says you're going to get through the rough spots by having the wisdom to overcome. And if you need that wisdom, you ask of God. You know what? A lot of us need to be like Solomon of old. We need to be asking God to help us have the wisdom to discern good from evil. James addresses a lot of things in his book. It's one of the most practical books in all of the New Testament. But again, in James chapter 3, James is going to take up the discussion of wisdom. In verses 13 through 18, he, he has that discussion. And, and contextually, when we're looking at James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, contextually, he has introduced the idea of teachers. And he said, hey, you need to be really careful when you're a teacher. You need to understand that you have a great responsibility when you're a teacher. Well, he goes on down in verses 13 through 18. This is at the beginning. How are we going to know when we've got a good teacher, a right teacher? How's that teacher going to know? The teacher's going to need some wisdom. And so when we're looking at verses 13 through 18, when we're, when we're looking at the idea, the discussion of wisdom, James has taken that, that idea and, and he's helping not only the teachers to understand something about what they're to teach, and he's helping those who would sit at their feet to learn to understand in regard to their wisdom who they are, but he's helping us in our life as well. Every one of us, including teachers, we need some wisdom in our life because he's already introduced that to us in James chapter 1. We've got the rough spots. We have the trials and the temptations. We've got to know the good and the evil. But you know, as I think about this life, when, when we're trying to identify all of these kinds of things, if we choose the right wisdom, look at verse number 18 of James chapter 3. If we choose the right wisdom, then we're going to reap a harvest. What kind of harvest are we going to reap according to verse 18? We're going to reap a harvest of the fruits of righteousness. A harvest of the fruits of righteousness in our life. Now, without studying anything else about it, I think that sounds pretty good. That's the kind of life I want to have. I want to be righteous, but I want to have the good things that are promised to the righteous. Why is it that a lot of people in their, their lives, they, they have good things? And, and some people, you know, their life is filled with drama. 
filled with drama. They're always having the problems. They're always having confrontations with people. They're always having all of these kinds of things that happen. You know, you read about them on Facebook because everybody likes to air all of those things on Facebook. Why is it that some people have nothing but drama in their life? Well, may I suggest to you this morning, it's probably because they're living their lives having listened to the wrong teachers. They're living their life by the wrong wisdom. And so this morning, we want to take just a few minutes and we want to talk about that wisdom that gives us the right kind of harvest, that helps us to keep from having all the drama in our lives that some people seemingly have every single day. How can I avoid that? How can I get through the rough spots and avoid all that drama? I've got to make the right choice. I've got to have the right source of wisdom. need to be asking myself from this point on, where am I getting my wisdom to live my life? Now let's take a look at some of these things that are mentioned here in James chapter 3. Brother Jeff read that passage for us this morning in our scripture reading, and our Bible reading, and so I'm not going to take time to read all of it again. We'll just make reference to some of the things that are mentioned there. But as we begin our study, as we begin thinking about what he says in regard to this wisdom this morning, I want us to understand that the Bible very clearly in verse number 15 of James chapter 3 speaks about wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Now he's not talking about three kinds of wisdom here. He's talking about one kind of wisdom, but, but it has three different components to it, if you will. Uh, as we think about it, we'll just break it down very quickly this morning. And it should be obvious that this wisdom that we're looking at here that's identified as earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, it should be very obvious to us that it's coming from the wrong source. These, these three things that are mentioned here, they're, they're not godly things. So the wisdom that comes from these three things that, that's identified by these three different characteristics, they it has to be obvious to us that it's coming from the wrong place. It's not coming from God because God's wisdom is from above that he will discuss in just a few minutes. But notice that he says that this wisdom is earthly. Well, why does he call it earthly wisdom? It's not, you know, some kind of thing that's hard to understand. He calls it earthly wisdom because the characteristic of it is that it is of this sinful world. It's just the way people act who are sinful in their, in their way. We duplicate that sometimes in our life. It's amazing, you know, that sometimes we want to get a different result from, from actions that people go through and, and every time, you know, it, it comes out, we think we can get a, a better result living a sinful life than, than sinful people. And that, that's just wrong. This wisdom is characterized as earthly wisdom because we didn't care to think about what God had to say. It's things that we come up with. Solutions to our own problems. How are we going to deal with it? Well, if my marriage is not working out, what am I going to do? I'm going to get a divorce. If uh, somebody says something about me and, and I don't like what they say, I'm going to slug them. Or I'm going to, I'm going to you know, cuss them out. I'm going to do all these other kinds of things that earthly wisdom. It's earthly because it's the characteristics of sinful people on this earth. 
Again, it's not all that hard to understand. Not only is it called earthly, it's called unspiritual as well. But as we think about this term unspiritual, it sometimes is translated in different ways. If you're reading from the King James, there in verse number 15, it may say sensual in your translation. Well, it's also used in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 44. Listen to what Paul says, talking about the spiritual body and the physical body and so forth, talking about the resurrection and the resurrection chapter. He says, it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Guess what? The word that's used by James, translated unspiritual here, is the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in regard to natural The physical body that we have, you know, the one that we see, well, maybe it'll help us if we look at another passage. Jude, verse 19, only one chapter there. It is these who cause divisions. Then he says, worldly people. And then he goes on, he doesn't stop there, and he explains something about the worldly people. He simply says, in the standard version, these worldly people, are they are devoid of the Spirit. Not that they don't have a Spirit. They're devoid of the Spirit of God. They don't listen to spiritual things that God has taught them. It's called unspiritual because we haven't listened to God the Spirit. We haven't listened to His teaching. It's unspiritual because it's ungodly. And so it's earthly and unspiritual. It's that kind of thing that sort of pertains to the animal in us. You know, the things that are not like God. And so that's why it's called unspiritual. But finally, it's also called demonic here in James chapter 3. Demonic. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, it's just that kind of wisdom that causes us and prompts us to act like the demons. To act like the devil. You know, we sort of take after the wrong father, if you will. We take after our father, the devil. That's what Jesus said about the Jews of his day in John chapter 8 at verse 44. He said, you are of your father, the devil. Well, why? Because they do what he did. They act like he acted. He said, you're your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. You, you live like him. They were trying to kill Jesus. That was on their mind. They, they didn't like to hear what he had to say. And so they were somewhat demonic. He's not talking about wisdom that, that is somehow causes, uh, is, is caused by demon possession. It's just the actions that it produces in our life. It's worldly. It's unspiritual. It comes from the wrong source. It's like other people act. It's unspiritual because it doesn't come from God. And it's demonic because we act like Satan. We act like the devil. Now that's not hard for us to understand. That's not the kind of living that I want to do in my life. This wisdom is characterized by the wrong inclinations. <coughs> what does it cause us to do? How, how does it make us somewhat like the devil? And like other people, sinful people in this world, and not like God? Well, again, notice the passage. He speaks about some things, those inclinations that are there. Notice he talks about bitter jealousy. 
Bitter jealousy, the way it's translated in the English Standard Version. Do you understand that this word comes from the same word from which we get our word zeal? It's somewhat of a different kind of term that's used here, but it's from the word that we get our word zeal. It has that word that's translated bitter that's added to it. Author by the name of Guernsey, he writes it this way. He says, The word denotes one who is utterly convinced of his own or her own beliefs. The word reflects the zeal with which a person always thinks he or she is right and cannot admit to ever being wrong. That's what the idea is. Brother Wayne Jackson says it's a fanatical zeal that runs roughshod over people, seeking self-glorying victory but caring not at all for the wounded left in the wake. That bitter jealousy that's there, it's the kind of thing that says I'm always right and I'm going to have my way regardless. I don't care what you think. I don't care what I have to do to you. And you know what? That characterizes a lot of people. I don't care what you think. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to live my life according to my own judgments. May I just stop here and say, <clears throat> you've got the wrong source for your wisdom. Bitter jealousy. See, we have to understand the terms. Not only does it produce the inclination toward bitter jealousy, but selfish ambition. Again, it denotes the me-first attitude. It's the person who, who thinks only of his or her own immediate gain. Selfish ambition. The idea is always in their head. What's in it for me? How's it going to benefit me? It's my way or no way, and I will never lose. I'm not going to do things that cause me to lose. This particular word is derived from a word which means a hireling. He's hired out to his own self, seeking to win followers to himself or herself. Selfish ambition. You see, these are the inclinations of people who are exercising this earthly, unspiritual, sensual, with, he, he's just giving us some characteristics of it, these inclinations to which it points us. But he also talks about some of the fruit. Some of the fruit that it bears, that comes from it. Notice four things in particular that he mentions in this passage. Boasting, the first one. Again, it reflects the attitude of persons who consistently think they're better than others. And so it comes out through boasting. Uh, these types assume their superiority over other folks. You know, my way's got to be right and, and your way's got to be wrong. I'm better than you. That's why you have racism and other kinds of things in our world. Here we are, this wisdom. Wrong source comes from sinful, unspiritual, demonic kinds of thinking but it brings out boasting. Not only that, it speaks of lying against the truth. They lie against the truth when they're hypocritical. In other words, they claim to be something they're not, so in essence they're lying, but it also lies against the truth of God. It lies against the truth and because they don't value the truth 
They don't value what God's Word has to say. And so, they don't conform to the divine standard of truth. That may be for everybody else, but it's not for me. I don't see it that way, and so I'm not going to live it that way. Lying against the truth. But then notice the third thing that he mentions there. It, one of the fruits that it produces is disorder. Now, I've already talked about the drama in a person's life. Disorder. That word disorder is translated in other places in this way. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, the Bible says, For God is not the God of confusion, which translated in the English standard. He's not the God of confusion, but He's the God of peace. It's used in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, at verse number 5, where, where Paul talks about things that he has gone through in his life because of his preaching of the gospel. And he speaks about having gone through beatings and imprisonments, and then he mentions the word riots. Uh, that's the same word that's translated disorder here. And you see, when this wisdom rules society, chaos erupts in society. Because everybody's doing things his or her own way. And as a result of that, you always have all of this confusion, all of this drama in your life. You see, when individuals govern themselves by this wisdom, their life is always a mess. You ever know anyone like that? Where they just can't seem to have a good day. Everything is just a mess in your life. May I suggest you're living by the wrong wisdom? It brings about not only boasting and lying against the truth and disorder, but it brings about all kinds of vile practices. You see, where the hearts of individuals, Christians in particular, when they're wrong, he speaks about an, just a variety of sins that will also be found. We don't have time to go through individual sins, lying, cheating, stealing, all kinds of things. You know, are we, are we really even shocked anymore by the, all the different forms of evil that we see around us? When people live their lives according to this kind of wisdom, there are all kinds of vile practices, evil deeds that you see taking place. In contrast to that, there's the wisdom that's from above. James chapter 3, verse 17, listen to the words. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, and sincere. For every bad quality that this earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom, for every bad quality that this kind of wisdom has, there's an opposite kind on the wisdom from above that is desirable. Look at the characteristics. Pure. 
It's free from ulterior motives. Peaceable. Right relationships. Good relationships with God and with the people in your life. Gentle. Reasonable and fair. What the word means. Open to reason. Easy to be entreated is one way it's translated. The people who are living by this kind of wisdom are approachable. They're willing to listen. Listen even to reason in their life. But even more than that, it's full of mercy in their life. The word means compassion that's practical. They're willing to help in whatever situation that you might have in your life. The Bible says it's full of good fruits, benevolent deeds of every kind. It's impartial. That person's faith, disposition, words, and actions are always consistent. No matter where they are or who they're with, the person who's living his life by this kind of wisdom is always impartial. And then the last one, sincere, genuine. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. You know, you, you, you've got modern day folks, especially those who are called millennials. One of their big things is they want people who are authentic. And, and I said back then when I mentioned it before, you know, that wasn't new just to the 21st century. That's the kind of people God wants. And he says, if you do what I say, that's the kind of person you will be. Authentic in your life. There is a big difference in people who live their life by this earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom and the people who live their life by the wisdom that's from above. Absent the drama. As we begin to bring our lesson to a close today, I want you to think about something very carefully. Your source of wisdom shows in your life. You may not believe it, but people who are around you can identify it that quick. The kind of wisdom you're living your life by. And too many people, some who even claim to be Christians, are living their life not by the wisdom from above, but by the wisdom that's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. You can tell it by their relationships, by their words and their deeds, by everything about them. Because the source for your wisdom shows in your life. It cannot be hidden. Folks, if you're always living the life of drama, confusion, contention, heartache, 
you probably need to change the source of your wisdom. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 5, going through verse 8, the Bible says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. It may be this morning that you, you have a life that's characterized by the wrong wisdom. You think you need the other kind. I want you to believe this morning that that kind of wisdom can make a difference in your life. That it will make a difference in your life. If only you will live your life by that wisdom. It will make a difference. That wisdom that's spoken about in James chapter 3, it's, it's not mysterious. It's not wisdom that, that will just jump in your body and possess you and cause you, you know, to do things that you wouldn't normally do. That kind of thing. We don't need to make something out of the words that James writes that make it hard to understand. Just understand this. As Solomon would write so long ago in the book of Proverbs, so much that he said there was about wisdom. And all that he said about it is this, can be summed up in these words. The right kind comes from God. Listen to God. Live your life by His words. And you will be a wise man or a wise woman. Maybe you're here today and you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. The smartest thing, the wisest thing you can do is to submit your life to Him. Maybe you're here today and in the past you've become a Christian but you haven't been living your life by the wisdom that's from above. You've tried the other way. Change it. Ask for repentance. Make your life right with God. If you need to respond in a public way today, do it right now. It's together we stand and sing.